Welcome to Empirical Peapod. I'm your host, Tim Day. Thank you so much for being here with me. I don't want to futz about, so let's get into today's show. Can you hear the birds? Yeah. That's awesome. Like I said, I kind of like the ambiance. The wind's going to blow and such, too. Or some dog will bark. I'm with it. Anyway, (laughs) here we are. Empirical Peapod. I'm your host, Tim Day. I'm with my one of my greatest friends of all time, Jay Schuschenfirschen. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I brought him in today just to, you know, same reason I bring anybody in, to have a conversation, see what's going on. Uh, Jay, this is different than normal because we're not in the same place. Where are you right now? Where am I? Ah, yes. The question of the day. Where am I? So I... leveled. It's so... <laughs> like, what... Well, he's very specific. I am in... <laughs> A room of my house at a desk in Colorado. So not near you at all, which sucks. I wish we were doing this in person, but you know what? This isn't bad. Yeah, someday. Maybe someday one of us will get to the other spot. Maybe. Sure. Maybe not. How, do you, how long have you been in Colorado now? Oh, let's see. Just over 10 years. Holy Christ. Is we it just really crazy. 10 years? Saturday was Emily and I's 10-year anniversary, so... Like I got here in, it was April. No, it was March 1st of, tw- of 2013. Wow. I can't believe it like been 10 years. A month later. And then we like officially started dating June 17th of 2013. So yeah, 10 years, but I've been gone from Illinois for 11. 11. So where was that one year then? Cause that was when I first left, I went to San Diego. Yeah. And so you were only in San Diego for a year. Just, just, uh, just under a year. Interesting. What brought you to San Diego? Oh wow, that was. Um, it's weird to talk about way back. So, 2010, a big group of us went to Vegas for 311 Day, yeah. and we did Vegas for a couple days, and then Kate's uh, family had a beach bungalow in San Diego, so we went there for St. Patrick's Day, like around that time, right after 311 Day, and it was a little city, Ocean Beach. And I had never really been to the coast. That was my first like California trip. And I didn't realize people could live there. Like this is real. <laughs> like a whole different world. Were, like, walking the streets, like, oh my God, like you could just, you could live here. And I, then I saw a Starbucks, which I was working at at the time. And I was like, well, I could probably just transfer. Um, but we had our band. And then yeah. it was like, soon after that's when Randy left. And right. I was like, oh, well now I'm free to that's do right. it. Because Randy said there. he was going to leave first, right? Yeah, yeah, he left because he left in like 2011, I think. Right after we just finished recording our last album, mm-hmm. we put a bunch of money into the band, and mm-hmm. then he was like, I got to leave now. He was like, now's the best time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so you ended up in San Diego uh, for a little while. Then what was the, because you've never seen it before, and it's a whole new world, what was the compelling then push to go to Colorado? Uh, let, me, let me think back. So like the initial like, wanting to move away was, was more than just, Oh my God, it's a beach. It was more like, um, not that I was bored living at home, but it was kind of like, I wanted to recreate myself. Like I never chose to live in Illinois for sure. Right. You know, like you're born there and there you are. So it's like, Oh, I saw there was a world of opportunity and just like wanting to be more independent and create myself more. It's like, let's just do this. Cause, and I also wanted to be like in a reggae band, like what a cool dream, like to live on the ocean and do that. So I joined a band there, did that, lived the ocean life. And then I just wasn't making any money. And at that point, Dave, uh, Johanna called and was like, you should come here next. And he didn't know that I was considering or anything. He just offered cause he was in Boulder and he's like, you can come stay with me. I'll get you transferred. Cause he was working at Starbucks at the time. And it was just like, yeah, the lease is coming up. Why not try that next? So then I moved on uh, to Colorado just on a whim. I had been there before, though, um, to see a show at Red Rocks, like I think two years before that. So I'd already kind of visited. I was like, yeah, yeah Colorado's great. That's kind of awesome how it all kind of lined up serendipitously. Yeah, I know it did. Not Not having Dave to like facilitate the move out of California. I don't know how soon I would have or where I would have gone. I may have just gone back home. Yeah. Uh, but having like a lifeline in a cool new spot was very awesome. Then you would have missed meeting your wife. Absolutely. Cause when I first got to Colorado, the plan was, so I got there March 1st and I was like, my plan is I'm going to stay this whole year and leave at Christmas. 
and I wanted to come home for a minute. And then I, I wanted to go to Boston for some reason. I don't know why. Just that East Coast. I had never been there either. But I met Emily, and then that was like my path was was chosen at that point. I right. couldn't she argue. ruined all your dreams. And she ruined it all. <laughs> so now it's been 10 years, uh, and you've actually done some pretty amazing things while you've been out there. Uh, one of those things is Jay on the drums. Will you tell me about that, please? I will. Thank you for being so polite. <laughs> you want to be referred to as the world's nicest wrestler. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so Jay on the Drums started on accident in California. I had joined a reggae band and it sucked and I was ready to give it all up. I was like, this is not at all. Cause I don't smoke. And that's kind of what the right. culture is for that. Sure. Oh, I just wasn't digging it. I was like, I'm probably going to sell these drums. And then I bought a djembe on just off chance. Cause it was on sale. And then I saw this Facebook uh, post from through people I had met in San Diego where this yoga studio was looking for um, musicians. And I reached out to actually initially to teach drums because it was yoga and music. They had them yeah. both under the same roof and they taught lessons, but they didn't teach drums. And they were like, ah, oh, we don't teach drums, but would you want to come try out to play in a class? And I had never even thought that was a thing. And I did it. I showed up and within like a minute of just auditioning with the teacher, she was like, this is awesome. This is going to sound so cool. So that, um, that opportunity like blew open the doors of possibility for me. Cause prior to that, I was working at that healthplex member yeah. in Aurora. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And I had all that experience working in fitness world. Yeah. And I, I saw like this door open of like, you could merge fitness and music and I'm, I'm passionate about both. Yeah. And that's when I started jam the drums. It was, uh, I would do it for free, like every Wednesday night or at this studio it was just an hour yoga class, completely improv, which I love because I love jamming. And it was just me. There was no other musicians. It was like the teacher and then me. And I would play the drums, reading the energy of the class. And then from there, like, that's when I was like, oh, I need to like brand myself and I could actually tour now. I could like do that, you know? Did you, uh, so after building that up, because you were at least quite a few albums, didn't you? Yeah, just um, I didn't release the first one until I got to Colorado. I met this awesome guy named Astral who had, um, who still has, like a really um, like an older recording module with the reel to reel. Oh, nice! How they used to do it, and he yeah. recorded my my hand drums with that. So you like you can feel and hear like the hand on the drum. Um, yeah, yeah, I recorded my first solo. So I've heard that first album. It's actually pretty pretty awesome. It's pretty amazing. Oh, thanks! It was a lot of fun to make. It was sweaty as fuck, though. Like, I was oh. in this little studio in the middle of July in the summer in Colorado, and just me and a drum, and it was like, because the album's long. It's like an hour. Yeah. And it's, and it's built for uh, yoga practice, uh, essentially yeah. a, a vinyasa. Uh, yeah. And with all each of the piece there. Now, when you play it live, because what I've, I've always been interested in is the album is tracks in its specific songs. Yeah, quotation marks. Yeah, but I'd be curious after you recorded the album, or even before when you were kind of writing the album, did you play when you were playing live? Did you play it like the album would be, or are you still just freeform, just kind of jamming with mm -hmm. the energy of the room? That's a great question. Um, so it was all—it's always been completely jam style. When I recorded the album, I'm, I'm big into like when I drum, I make beats. And so yeah. looping beats is fun to me. So that's pretty much how I made the album. I thought of eight different beats and then I just kind of looped them with some some tweaks along the way. When I would play live, it was completely made up. Like I never played, I'm going to play track five. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I rehearsed this, which is so different than how we made music. Like yeah. we can make a set list. Playing in a live class is all completely improv based on the energy of like, how's the teacher coming off? Is there an intention for the class? Like if we're going to bring it not have me start right away i can start slow and soft or is it a power yoga where it needs to be a little bit more fiery you know with yeah. more energy so in, in no way would i ever play tracks from the album however five or six years later i recorded a new one with the same guy astral and by that point i knew my beats so well that i had developed a quote-unquote set list yeah. and i had these beats that were now drilled so well because I had like naturally created them over the years of doing it, if that makes sense. That is awesome. Uh, I'd be curious too. So uh, I've taken a few yoga classes in my day and usually on a personal level, each individual or the teacher will set an intention for the class. 
uh, would you set an intention or would you kind of just let the energy of the room dictate? Ooh, uh, usually, so if teacher sets an intention, I try to, to get with it. Yeah. You know, because um, I want to be with the energy. If they don't say anything, um, sometimes I would, sometimes I wouldn't. I drummed a lot of times, you know, on occasions. So like say, oh, and I distinctly remember the day when Ben Lackey died. I was yeah. drumming that day and I got the call before the class. And so, or even when, uh, when John Obert died, like yeah. there were numerous times where I had those moments to like, I guess, channel the connection I had with those people and yeah. like dedicate it privately to them. Um, things That's like awesome. that. The drumming itself is more like a, a walking meditation where if I yeah. think too much, I fuck it up. So I try not to, <laughs> right. it off. but like the intention yeah. thing before, you know, it's, it's either from the teacher or from myself. Also, side note there, uh, you just mentioned John Obert, who is one of our amazing friends who passed away. Uh, do you still own his soul? Oh, my God. I'm about to ask Heather. <laughs> I, I bought and sold his soul twice. And I think the last time was before I moved. And I think I do, but I lost the paper. <laughs> so his soul's out there somewhere. He's just floating around. No, that's a recipe for a ghost. He hasn't shown up yet, so I'm waiting, John. Come on. He'll find us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you ended up, did you record three albums, right? Um, no, I've got more than that. They're not like really? super long. Yeah. Probably I've got some EPs, and then I've oh, got okay. also like. Um, say three studio style. albums. What was that? Like three studio albums? I like think full, two, two studio full albums with like actual mics, and then I learned how to do like electronic drums. Oh, nice. And that's a lot easier. Yeah, I'll bet. Making drums is a bitch. Yeah, it seems like it would be. But, okay, so after you've, you've done that, uh, you actually set up a, a couple of tours. Uh, what was it like trying to book yourself? Because I presume, based off of our time together in a band, like you kind of book yourself, uh, for X, hopefully for X amount of money, to be able to get to the next show. Uh, and kind of do that little thing where what was your tour like as far as scope and what was it like trying to set that up uh, stress level as far as like where you're going next so the primary places i would tour would be where i had family so obviously chicago area yeah and then i have a cousin in arizona oh, nice so those are spread the- out then with you in colorado arizona chicago it's pretty sweet yeah, the, the best year that um, just kind of looking at it from a bird's eye view, the best I did, and then I'll go into more detail, was 2016. I did four tours aside from just playing in Colorado. So it's probably close to 100 gigs that year. But I did Arizona twice, Chicago twice, um, spread out throughout the year, and then while playing locally. And I think the last tour, the end of the year, Chicago, I had like 12 gigs, which was just so fun. Um but putting it together is just completely grassroots style. Like what I would do is go on Google maps, Chicago type yoga studio and like a hundred pages come up and it takes time and dedication, but I would have like a copy and paste um, email message and I would go through and I would email every studio and it would take me a couple hours to do it. And I had to do it in a row because I could never tell where I stopped if I stopped. <laughs> and I wouldn't message him twice. So I would dedicate an afternoon and go through and I would email every studio I can find in the Chicago area. And basically anyone who said yes, I would I would agree to do it. And then just try to um, strategically fit in the timing and the days and the rate of money. And then since I was at home, I didn't have to worry about um, doing a hotel or anything. But I did have to yeah. get a rental car. Cause I would fly in right, right. Um, and I kept a second set of drums at my dad's house. So I didn't have to travel with instruments. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd land, get the rental car. And that was just so fun just to do that. Like, Oh my God, I've got, it sounds so professional. Up. What was that? <laughs> it sounds so professional. Like uh, I'm an adult. I'll be renting a car for the weekend. Thank you. The first time I did it, it was like, I used to be scared of the airport when I was young. Yeah. And then I got to be such a pro at like knowing where things are and like running a car. Like it was just so um, like secondhand. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And then just, um, you know, have those dates. And then so social media was starting to kick in big around the mid 2010s. And like I would be tagged in all these things. And it it felt like a big deal. I had people looking forward to seeing me and meeting me. They would buy my merch, taking pictures with all these people. And like kids were like posing with me. And it was like I got to live the tour lifestyle 
probably in the most clean way because I can't imagine what being in a band would have done. Like different group, right? Like I'm not going yeah. to bars. I'm going to a yoke suit. Absolutely, yeah. Also, you're the only member, so you're you know uh, because we've spent many many years in a band together. It's can sometimes be challenging to have four egos trying to focus on one idea. Mm-hmm. So I got to think that being by yourself was a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, and, and I at the end that's what I ended up missing because um, like one day I woke up in my old bedroom on an air mattress <laughs> and I was like, "What the fuck am I doing? Like, I want to be with my my girlfriend at the time, or like uh, I was just lonely." Yeah, like you, it would have been a lot cooler almost if it was like you and I. Yeah, Randy and Junker, a guy like having camaraderie, but it gets to a point where you're playing so often and it's you meet people for the night and then you leave and it's very lonely yeah i think that's probably why when it is a different scene it's easy to fall into less than savory elements of life yeah no and i can see why people might get into that stuff and um for me luckily it wasn't ever an issue i could just visualize like wow that's why yeah so uh, you've kind of taken a step back from that. Do you still do it at all uh, here and there in Colorado or or any kind of scale? Or is it, I know you have a different focus now, which we'll get into in a second, mm. but do you still do any of the yoga stuff? Um, you know, not as much as I did in 2017. I got to play Red Rocks, which was like the bucket list of bucket lists for me. Yeah, and I that's feel amazing. like when I did that, I literally could check off my childhood dream of being a professional drummer. Because I always imagine that shot of like, if you imagine the band's playing, but the shot from behind the drummer, where yeah. you can see a sea of people. Yeah. Like, I have chills right now because that was such a memory, not a memory, but such a vision in my head whenever I started playing drums. That that's what I wanted to do. That when I finally did it, I really checked it off. And like a month or two later, Emily and I got our first townhouse. So it was almost like a big chapter of my life closed in a great way. Yeah. And then I got to like say... Um, well, what do I want to do now? What else do I want to do? And it was like getting a house and then getting back into teaching um, with kids, which I eventually did. But I feel like after Red Rocks, I didn't go full force anymore. I, I stopped touring. I would play locally upon request. So now I still have my website. I'm still taking bookings. Um, I think I'm trying to get the ball rolling again, but COVID killed it all. Yeah, that's going to be a common sentence. <laughs> yeah, there it was. COVID stepped in and then a lot of studios closed around here and if they were still open, they weren't making as much money. And while I yeah. love doing it, I do feel like being compensated is fair. Sure. And I, I don't think at this point I would do it for free anymore. Yeah. So. I think that makes sense. Like I think you have to start somewhere uh, to build your value, but then when that values values built, you don't really go backwards. Right. Yeah. And that's, that was the point. That was another hard lesson. Like I, being younger, I always thought like I put out like money's evil and like you couldn't be a salesman. But through sure. like being a drummer, I learned how to like sell my uh, service. And my service ultimately is to enhance someone else's life. Right. And it was such a personal um, service that I would do. You know, it wasn't like I'm selling TVs. I was yeah. selling my drumming, which people loved. And I would help be an attraction and draw people into the studio and celebrate. And it was I just learned how to spin it to make it a good thing. Yeah, which I think is fair. Like most things, it's it's whatever your perspective is. You can turn it into whatever you want. Yeah, totally. So after the J on the drums and kind of COVID, not putting the kibosh, but like definitely making it harder, uh, over the last couple of years, you started this thing called Kids Freeze Dance. Uh, and you had mentioned posing with kids and teaching. So I, I know that you love kids in general. Uh, what is this kids freeze dance? Oh, what is this thing? <laughs> so essentially it's a streaming service. So videos of me. And it started with basically using an electronic drum to replicate what in, in school and in like preschool and like daycare and stuff, they do something called freeze dance. So to focus on that first, freeze dance is a simple game. If you're babysitting, you might do this. You uh, put on a, a song. And you control it. And when you hit pause, the kids freeze. It's so simple. It's stupid. But you you do that and they freeze. And if someone moves, they're out. Nice. Okay, so there's this game called Freeze Dance. In uh, Right before COVID, I was working as a second grade teacher and I brought in my actual djembe for the kids. And we would do Freeze Dance 
with a real drum. And I, it, it was so fun. The kids loved it because they had never seen a drum like that. And it's just a good break in the day. So then COVID hit and I was teaching on um, Google, what's it called? Google classrooms. Or whatever it is. Yeah, it Google wasn't classrooms. Google. Yeah. I was teaching on there and I had like a, an online classroom where these kids, second graders were doing like online work, which is so dumb. But I was like, yeah. I'll make them a video. Let me make them a freeze dance video. And I tried recording it with a real drum and I look back on that video and it sucks because the sound quality is awful. But then I was like, wait a minute, I have this electronic drum that I plug that in and that's got funny noises. Like it's easier. Yeah. I made a couple for my kids and just put them in the Google classroom and they loved it. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's kids everywhere and it's that's the internet. True. Like, you know, why don't I make it for, um, the world in a way, like it doesn't have to be my second grade. It can just be everybody. So freeze dance is all about dance, dance, freeze. And you're supposed to hold still. So I took it to the next level. And like when it, when you're frozen, your attention is so high that that's the time to deliver a lesson or right. to review something. Now you've, you've woken up the body, you've activated like your neurons in your brain. And that's how kids learn best is through being active. So then it was like doors were blown open. I was like, I could do every grade and every subject and every little thing. And now you're talking thousands of videos. Um, and that's basically what I've done. Kidsfreezedance.com is a streaming service for teachers, parents, whoever, um, categorized by grade, subject, and different styles that you can put it on and review math facts or practice reading skills. But you're up and moving. You're doing jumping jacks. You're doing whatever movement I'm doing. It's there. And then you pause lesson back to the movement you know yeah so i think this is i remember when you were putting together and, and i've watched you do them and stuff like that and i've been in the studio yeah <laughs> i think it's absolutely brilliant taking something that the kids already love and then uh introducing movement and sneaking schooling into it as well with a lesson it's just, like it's it's a can't miss thing um i remember when i was out there a couple of years ago we would talked about, you know, banking stuff and again, like building this big thing. So it's its own streaming service. How much, how are, did you monetize that as far as per video or for uh subscription? Mm. And, uh, well, I guess let's start there. Yeah. So I started making it a dollar a month, which when I started, you know, I mean, it's funny when you start something new, you think it's great. And then you look back and it absolutely sucks, but you have yeah. to start, you know, for sure. Yeah. So I started in those first videos, you know, I had, you start off, I had like 50. Actually, yeah. uh, I'm sorry. I just want to make a point in general, try everything. If you can in a month or six months or a year, look back and say that was dog shit. You're doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> like, that's success. right. You'll never know. Sorry, go on. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I did, through this website called Wix, W-I-X, um, you can make your own website and they have the ability to make like a members area. So that's essentially how it started was like, okay, I'll make a website. Behind the paywall is all the videos. Uh, you have to pay a dollar to join. It's monthly. And then I was like, oh, let's up it a little. Let's do like a $10 for a year, which is still a great deal. Absolutely. As it went down and got, I've, I've got over 2,000 videos now. I just realized I'm kind of like under selling myself. So I bumped it up to five, five bucks a month is still reasonable for teachers. Um, yeah. There's no commitment. You can just join for a month and quit if you want, but it gives yeah. you a nice resource and having um, it's passive income because I have people that have been members for two to th almost three years now and yeah. it comes out automatically and it's just, you know, it's churning that money. It comes yeah. in, people quit. Summer just now, I had like 40 people quit because it's sure. summer, I'm not teaching. But I'm looking at August to be like, all oh, these people will come back, you know? Yeah. Now, uh, you just mentioned three years. So you've been doing this for three years, which is insane because you also just said you've got like 2,000 videos. And you're the only guy doing this. You're recording them. For, you're writing the curriculum. You're recording them. You're editing them. You're posting them. You're running 100% of this business so you basically have no overhead other than your valued time of course yeah uh and, and then whatever value you create into the thing which jesus christ two thousand videos in three years uh all with an educational purpose it just uh, to me it's a can't miss insane thing 
I discovered a little cheat that I'll reveal. Oh, first time ever. It's not. I guess it's not really a cheat. But if you think back to like, if you can remember when you were in school, do you remember doing like Halloween math? Yeah, like you sure. get a worksheet and it's got a spider on it. Yeah, and maybe a ghost. I'm like, oh my god, we're doing Halloween math now. <laughs> okay, so math doesn't change. Like, math is That's math true. is math. Yeah. However, what does change in the school year is the seasons, right? Right. So what I learned is I can make the base of a video. And as long as I don't um, speak the words Halloween or Christmas, I can take that template and change the color pattern and scheme and add in graphics that fit for it. So I can record one video about addition facts and just, you know, here's what we're doing. But then I can yeah. take that and in, in the editing room, if you want to call it that, I can edit it eight different ways and make yeah. one video into like eight or nine. I've got like themes now. So I'll do like fall, Halloween, winter, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Easter, Earth Day, Cinco de Mayo. Nice. So I can get eight videos. Well, actually nine, because then there's just a regular one. About right. nine videos out of one shoot. Yeah. And that just builds up the content. See, and that, I think even that's brilliant because what is learning if not repetition and also the fact of because with the paywall, you have access to the whole library when you're subscribed. Yeah. yeah. You've got options then too. It's like, oh, here, here's a Halloween video. This will uh, entice them and stuff like that. So I, uh, I think it's absolutely great. What's the – so it's been three years. Uh, do you see – what do you see that turning into? Eventually, I'd like to get it like into the app store. So that's when I say a streaming service, it technically is, but it's not like it's not on Apple TV. You know, it's not going to be up there next to Netflix where you can select it. It, it is a website. Um, so you have to have like computer access to get it. And teachers do because that's what they have in their classroom. I think eventually I'd like to see it get to the level where it's on your iPhone. Um, in the Apple store, you know, and there's, there's services to do that. However, I looked it up how much it is and you're talking like you pay like 10 grand a month just to host it. Yeah. I think, but realistically, even if it's like, cause you think about our streaming life in general, uh, and especially the success people can find on YouTube, you don't necessarily at $10 a month or a year, uh, or even $5 a month, you know, realistically, the price per year probably needs to go up at some point. Also, mm. you don't need that many subscribers really to hit that goal. Yeah. And then once it's self-sufficient, like it's just, I, I see it blowing up hugely. And I'm excited for it. Well, thanks, man. I mean, that's the kind of thing I, I must, I would love for it to replace my income. Yeah. So I wouldn't have to like work, work, you know? Um, it's not money driven. It is like cool to see. I get videos all the time from teachers that like my kids love this. Here's a video of them yeah. doing it. And it's like, that is uh, just, I, I believe one time you made a custom video for a specific class. I did. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Just a shout out. And then I can say the teacher's name and the class at their school. And like, I can only imagine being a kid, the kids these days, YouTube is like King, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the reason I don't put it on YouTube, though, is because those commercials, you can't control what comes up. And as when I was a teacher, I would put on a video and it shows some scandalous shit. <laughs> it's like, it's my true. website doesn't have any of that. No ads. Yeah. The school I work in, they do a, a lot of YouTube and you definitely have to monitor it mm -hmm. and pay attention. I love it when a teacher turns on YouTube and then leaves the room. Oh, and no. I'm like, this is going to get spicy. <laughs> you don't know what's coming up next. Yeah. So... That's awesome, and we I think we've covered uh, enough of where you've been and what you're doing. The real reason I brought you here is, yeah, you and I come from the same amazing group of friends, a large group of friends, but you and I are unique in the fact that we love pro wrestling. That is true. And everybody makes fun of us for it, which doesn't, I don't mind. <laughs> everybody. Uh, but you and I love it in a, in a sense that it's it's like, it's embedded into our very lives, like in our existence. Like, I feel like all, like you see like uh, that poster, that's like everything I learned, need to learn about life. I learned from like kindergarten or something, mm -hmm. everything I need to learn about life. I learned from pro wrestling. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is, if you had to boil it down, I'm not trying to sell people by any means. I'm more interested in just talking to you as a fellow lover. What do you think the appeal is for us? Like, why do you think we, Enjoy it yeah, so like 
yeah, like I, that. What you would like? I'm not saying. Well, how would you get somebody to like it? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't care about that. They're they're gonna like it or they're not, regardless of what I say. But what do you suppose is our draw to keep coming back? Because we've been doing it for 40 years. Yeah, uh, like really? Monday Night Raw has been on January 1993 every Monday since. Yeah, and it's they never take a day off. There's no off season. And I'm, I've been there for every single yeah. one. What is it that keeps us there? So my first thought on that is, well, like when I was a kid watching it, this was during a time when people, some people still thought it was like legitimate fighting. Yeah, like it was real. Like the way they presented it on TV was with the intention that, hey, what we're putting out here is real. Yeah. And I think... If you focus on what that means, that that's a whole like you could do a whole podcast on something like just that. That's, that's true. like finding out like football's fake. Yeah, you know because uh, yeah. the nation thought wrestling was real, and then there was like these little sects that would come out, little groups of people that would expose it as oh it's not real. And so I remember being a kid and buying a wrestling magazine at the store. My dad was there, and the lady took the magazine, she scanned it, and she goes, you know, it's fake, right? And my dad goes, your hair looks fake. <laughs> they, like, defended me. Yeah. Um, but, like, also, also, uh, let's just show a little love to Paul. God damn it. Yeah. That's what you do. Your hair looks fake. <laughs> he said that. Because it's like, that's his son. Like, how are you going to yeah. insult my son? Like, Right. That's like, yeah. if, I'm not going to say more than this, but it's like the Santa Claus talk. Like, well, absolutely, I agree. Uh, it, it just doesn't like. What are you getting out of that? Yeah. Even to this day, like people still throw that out first. Like it's not supposed to be real. Like it's right. weird that you think. It sounds like you're upset that it's fake. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it does sound. Like. But I think like when I look back, there was something I loved naturally, but there is this rumor that it wasn't real, and then as the years went on, you discover it's not real, quote unquote. But it is real in a very different way. So I right. feel the reason I'm still interested is because there's two worlds. Yeah. This it's almost like if you think of a movie. You have the on-screen character, but then you right. have the real-life person and the the actor, like the actor. exactly. In wrestling, that exists, but there's also a weird part of it where the the performers want to blur the lines. Yeah. Well, also there you're talking because it's like there's the actor for wrestling, there's the performer for wrestling, then there's the actual wrestling. Yeah. Like it's three points. And that's actually what I've always, I feel like is my draw to it also is kind of being like, there's this not necessarily fake thing, but not necessarily real. And they're trying to make you believe sometimes both ways, like mm-hmm. either way. I also feel like, cause I can remember the first time where I like bawled my eyes out. Mm. Remember when uh, Hulk Hogan was crushed by earthquake. Yep. And they played that damn song Yeah, in the early nineties. And that was because we kind of came up in that generation where the characters were over the top Mm -hmm. uh, and they were larger than life. And and it was very colorful and fun. And I think it's just, that's what grabbed us. And it's definitely evolved a lot. But like, when you see something like a Hulk Hogan, like say what you want about him now, and it's easy to write him off now. But at that time, mm-hmm. to see somebody like this young big man destroy him, yeah, he looks dead. <laughs> well, and the reason I think it hits more is to think of wrestlers as like superheroes when you're a kid, right? Like, yeah, larger than life, strong. But you can't go see the real like Spider-Man in person. Sure, they don't they don't tour around the country, so wrestlers are different. You can go meet them. Yeah. It's the real person. It's not some guy in a mask pretending to be. It right. is Hulk Hogan. So I think like when that happened, like they would show kids in the crowd crying because it's a real yeah. guy. He's right there. <laughs> and that's that's different than movies. You know, like you're not going to go meet Tom Hanks, you know. And then so even weirder would be like, what if Tom Hanks was pretending he was really Forrest Gump in real life? Like how fucking crazy <laughs> right. is that? Yeah. But that's kind of what wrestling is like. Um, modern day would be like you know john cena but his character is more him and so there is a weird blurring of the lines like what's real what's not but you could go meet that guy he's going to come to your city at some point right you're going to have an opinion about who he is as a person afterwards yeah because i think too is uh uh, one of the uh appeals is 
as we've grown up and I'm not sure if you would agree or not, but like you, as a kid, it's like you said, all the pageantry and the superhero ness as we've gotten older, because we know the ins and outs so well, yeah. like my sister makes fun of me every time I watch wrestling for two reasons. One, because I call every match <laughs> and two, every time it comes out, she's like, you've seen this episode <laughs> every week is the same, the same story. Exactly. And I'm like, shut up. Like there's no way to defend it. Just shut up. But I I love at this point, I know the ins and outs so well. I want to see how it's executed. Mm. Like when I watch a match, it's essentially like watching a, a ballet. Like how are they executing the moves? Uh, how are they selling for each other? Like how are they putting everything together? How is the match flowing? Where's the psychology? Like how well are they working together? Uh, you know, stuff like that instead of just watching a match and having no idea about it, it probably, you could probably enjoy it even more, but I'm looking at it at a whole different level. It's the same way I look at comedy. Cause I love mm. stand-up comedy. Yeah. I want to see how the bits work, how they flow together, how the whole set is laid out versus yeah. each individual joke. Cause I was like, getting related to that's probably how people look at sports. Like if you've watched football yeah. for so long, you start to see it through the eyes of the coach. And it's not just about the plays. It's about the ins and outs and how it works and why it does. Same thing with music. I yeah, can't help but break down every song I listen to and hear all the different <laughs> instruments and like, what's the flow of it. And then, and then beyond yeah. that, then lyrics, you know, like there's so much that goes into something and yeah. for people that don't watch wrestling, wrestling is the exact same as all right. the other things people enjoy. Um, just wrestling at one point just had that controversy. Is it real or is it fake? And it was like right. toying with people. And I think secretly it struck a nerve with a lot and people maybe hold a, held a grudge against it at, at one point, like kind of like they lied to you. So yeah, well, sometimes people get caught up in that. Let us not forget Andy Kaufman, yes. a whole whole career uh, using a wrestling ideology in kayfabe mm-hmm. uh, to just to in an acting career, which didn't necessarily go well. So, what do you think? Like, then the point is of having matches. Like, for people that don't watch wrestling, like, how would you sum up? Like, why are they doing this? What's the point of this? So there there's probably there's at least three answers right the one answer is you're building a storyline which you know whatever storyline you're building as far as this person wronged me or i'm mad at this person or this person's getting opportunities and i'm not and i'm better i at least think i'm better than them mm-hmm. so we have to have a match to find out who's who's better like who's better i'm gonna beat you no i'm gonna beat you let's find out on sunday exactly okay. so that's those are your best matches potentially because they have drama built in. Mm-hmm. Uh, now on the flip side to that, you can just have a straight up things like a tournament where it's just like wrestler versus wrestler. There's an end goal, but there's not really much drama into it. There's a specific mm-hmm. end goal where we're not building a storyline. If you have 16 wrestlers in a tournament, you're not building a storyline for every single match. Yeah. You're just, let's see who's better on an athletic basis. And, and that's it. And then the third type is just an enhancement. Mm. So you'll have a wrestling match between somebody, two well-known wrestlers, but somebody's getting a push, which just means that they're going to be the next important person on TV. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they need to just basically eat people for breakfast. Yeah. Like they get fed somebody as an enhancement talent and they just get squashed or even they have a good match, depending on the character they're portraying. Sometimes the push just comes as like squeaking out a win against somebody and saying like if like John Cena is a huge name, if you have somebody on an on a mid card beat him, mm-hmm. that's huge because they call it they call it the rub. Yeah, the rub. <laughs> he gets the rub from John Cena for having a win, and now people are paying attention to this guy. So those are your, I believe those are your three main reasons to have a match. Uh, what do you think? I agree with all those. To look at it deeper. And for so someone goes to watch a wrestling match, I think the point of the match, regardless of what three styles you laid out there, it's to make you suspend your disbelief that it is real. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That he really does hate him, <laughs> yeah. which is the lore of us now after watching it for so long, because sometimes they really do hate each other. Yeah. Or is that real life hatred not real? Right. And it's that blurring of the lines, yeah. right? Like you want to go to a match and you want to forget that it's a show. Yeah. It's just, just like funny. you forget that it's a movie. Absolutely. It's the exact same thing, except I'd get to do it on a weekly basis. That, 
there's like what 10 hours of wrestling on now a week sure now and then AEW just added two more that's true uh, yeah it's insane it's so insane but so even before we went live here and started, we were talking about a particular controversy from last year that is still going right now. <laughs> and we're like, is it a work? It, it, what, a, what a brilliant work. Yeah. Uh, it is is it real? <laughs> like to hold on to that story for so long. Yeah. That's I, build, right? Like you want to build a long story. So right. you pay off at the end. Yeah. It means so much to me. Like, at 40 to still have to ask <laughs> is this real or is this because i like but like i said we've we know how the business works at least in a general sense yeah none of us have ever worked there but like we understand as much as we can and love it every aspect of it so i'm so grateful to still be able to sit back and be like ah, this is wild this is yeah this is probably true is <laughs> there's, there's that part and then the the never-ending um act of a new wrestler um developing right like look how good they are already or that guy yeah. sucks here's why i could tell you that or you see somebody yeah. get better it, it's literally like watching a musician get better over the years like wow they've really yeah. they've really um honed their craft they've gotten better and in wrestling yeah. it's completely 100 percent up to you much like a comedian a stand-up comedian goes out there and writes all their own material they they tour they travel they get over right they win the people over and people love them or they hate them and then you never hear from him again. Wrestling's right. the same. You go out there and try to build your character and put yeah. that out there. The, the caveat to that is in wrestling, you're working with other people. It would yeah. be very funny to see comedians work in a team working with each other. I wonder how that would go. <laughs> that would be interesting. I think uh, I think there's uh, the closest we would get is if you ever check on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Ross and David Tell do a show called Bumpin' Mics. Okay. It's a stand-up of them together where they basically just take the piss out of each other. Oh, awesome. It's pretty great. So they're secretly working together. Yeah. But you want to kind of forget that and get lost in their banter, I'm sure. Exactly. And that's exactly what it's like. Uh, so also, I think uh, another thing with wrestling is like, <laughs> I find myself one of the most um, emotional things in my life is wrestling. Like, and I think it comes from when you get to see a lot of these, especially now. So I took a, a break. Uh, you remember when we were coming up, we always used to watch raw at your house. Uh, we would watch all the pay-per-views at your house uh, with Paul and he, Paul was always amazing to us. Let the band practice there. Yeah. Let's watch all the wrestling there. Uh, what, what a, what a beautiful man. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, but I watched all of these things develop. And after you left, after a couple of years, I stopped watching it. Like basically during when John Cena was at his highest, I stopped for a long time. Yeah. And I didn't come back until like five years ago. And all of the guys that we saw and I loved from Ring of Honor, which is a little indie promotion, are all running WWE now. And that's nuts. It's insane. Like it makes me so happy. And I think that's where the emotional connection comes from is back when we were starting, it was easy because these characters were superheroes and larger than life. And while I think the superhero quality is different because I'm older, they're still larger than life uh, presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're also just, it's, to some extent, people I know. Like I was just explaining to my sister, we were there setting up the ring at LWF when CM Punk and Colt Cabana mm-hmm. were just indie guys from Chicago. Yeah. And to watch him like rule the world mm-hmm. was awesome. It felt like a friend was just being successful. Yeah. Uh, and that was really cool. And I think that's where my emotional attachment comes to so strong and knowing what they go through and how they put their bodies on the line and their lives on the line yeah. daily just for us to be able to go, ooh. Well, like that generation of guys made it feel attainable for anybody versus yeah. like someone who had to be six foot eight and be a bodybuilder. Like that right. era changed. When you had the smaller guys like a Daniel Bryan or yeah. CM Punk that were just, wow, he's like me. And then right. you watch someone that's in your, like, I guess they would be your peer, right? Yeah. Someone in your group that could go do that. And like your brother did. Like, yeah, my, yeah, my like, brother was a wrestler for years. Yeah. But even that, I was, I was like. He literally lived the dream. And he was like a, a yeah. part of a company for over 10 years, roughly, right? He was also the head trainer. Yeah. That's so cool. 
yeah so which is even i think even cooler to see my brother was the guy who made sure everybody else was good enough to be on the show mm-hmm. which is just funny to be like you know my brother he's fucking ridiculous he's absurd he's like a reincarnation of chris farley that's great and then he goes out and he's he's, like, he's an amazing wrestler but it's it's just crazy it's crazy to me to, to see all that so i think that's probably why we still love it there's just so many levels to loving it yeah you know it's like uh <clears throat> the music thing is the closest comparison or sports when people love it on the surface or then yeah. they get to know it and then they get deeper and then it's like the how it works yeah. Uh, and wrestling never ends, unlike a lot of other things. Dan's only tour for a couple months. Uh, movies are one and done in an hour. Uh, sports have seasons. Wrestling's on 24, not 24 7, but 365. It's basically every day. It's on live, yeah. too. It's always right. new. Yeah, it's it's insane. Despite Sarah saying you've already seen this, <laughs> I know what she means by that, but. Yeah. <laughs> means- okay, she'll be like, oh, they just wrestled two weeks ago. I'm like, the brilliant story. <laughs> You got now, it. Hey, same stories. There was a time, speaking of LWF, that we all did go to potentially try out. I remember that. We fit in my car. It was you, me, and Zach. Yeah. And I. There's already a lot of beef to put in a pickup truck. Well, they, I remember saying, they said to you guys, like, you two could probably do it, but they pointed to me, like, you are way too skinny. <laughs> Which like, is you, funny no to way. think about. Like, I mean,. Yeah, you're still skinny, but like you've definitely put bulked up considerably. Well, this was like what 2001 when we did that. Yeah, say we we're like what 18, 20. <laughs> yeah, we were fresh out of high school, like kids. Yeah. Something happened with the truck too. Like we already put on an embarrassing display, and then something oh, yeah. happened to your truck when we were trying to leave. That's how it happened. And like that kingpin guy had to help us. Yeah. Did you? Right? Did it just not start? Probably. I don't remember. That's it's weird. Too that much weight in truck it. Truck was new at that point. <laughs> Maybe I locked the keys in. That that seems more likely. Yeah. It, wasn't even like, it was probably me. Nothing like going there, embarrassing ourselves in front of all of our wrestlers, and then going to leave and being like, we can't leave because we locked the keys in the car. I, I swear it was the keys because I could see that being so nervous. And yeah. then, like, where am I going to put these keys? Like, I'm going to go in the ring. Like, I'll just put them here and then lock the door. That, that was it. <laughs> I'll keep them in the car for yeah. safekeeping. <laughs> Then they're there when I want to leave, right? That's just smart, <laughs> real smart. Then <laughs> you uh, lock it for safety, so yeah. no one steals the car. You checked off all the correct boxes, maybe in the wrong order. Yeah, definitely the wrong order. <laughs> uh, also, aside from that, thank you. Aside from that, is uh, when my brother was wrestling in a different company. Was that PCW? Yeah. One time, we took it upon ourselves to write a year worth of storylines for them. Yeah, we used the old web TV. Oh my Remember god! That? <laughs> what an old sentence. <laughs> we didn't have computers, but I, I, no, I had. I, I remember. So, and that's kind of the thing is, I never, and still to this day, I never wanted to be a wrestler. Mm. I've, I love the behind the scenes stuff. I would like writing stories. I like coming up with angles. I think I would even enjoy writing promos. To be honest, like I've been kind of paying attention more and more to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been really getting into, you know, uh, I'm realizing that Freddie Prince Jr. Mm. is somebody I love because he worked in wrestling in the position I would have loved. And he's in the Star Wars universe. Two of my favorite things. Well, when I, I remember when I met you, I, I discovered how big into comics you were. And that was mm-hmm. never my thing, but I appreciated it. And I saw yeah. immediately how you would talk about it and how it is kind of the same thing as wrestling writing. Yeah, it has to be a long-term true. story that kind of weaves in with each other, and if it's done correctly, it can be the yeah. most amazing reward at the end. Yeah, remember we wrote a year of storylines for yeah. them, and then after we showed them to them, they were like, "That's kind of what we were gonna do anyway." Yeah. And then they did our story exactly, like to a T. Like, oh, they're doing this part now. Nice. <laughs> should just, they should have just had us come in and do it that would have been like another dream come true to write for wrestling that would have that would have been cool i'm still taking credit like the company's gone nobody's around anymore i think jimmy blaze still works somewhere but who cares nobody's gonna stop me we wrote that year yeah but you you have that uh that that's a knack that you have like the um I guess character development and like story and like you have a lot of appreciation for that side of almost like any kind of character or story like you can see it yeah and that that's kind of like the weird connection to real life right like you can 
you understand someone's story, you can understand them better. Now you appreciate them as a person, even though they're kind of a character, you know? Right. Yeah. I actually get it. I just, we just started a new D and D campaign and I'm the only dickhead that writes an elaborate backstory uh, with made up other characters and like a whole history and lineage and I'm presenting it and like everybody takes five minutes and like my character's this or they're after revenge or their parents were murdered. And I'm presenting for like a half hour of this amazing backstory about who this character is and what's their motivation and why they're the way they are. And people are like, you should shut the fuck up. No, like, that is your that's the whole point. They should <laughs> shut the fuck up and let you do it. They should yeah, be the... inspired by that because you put a lot of like heart into it. Right. And then I play the character as that which also irritates people, but I'm like, this is the whole fucking game. Yeah, they owe you for you putting that on. You're making the game better. That's what I thought, man. But <sighs> Well, it feels like we're winding down. What else do we have to talk about? Well, you know. We burned ourselves out talking for 10 minutes before recording. <laughs> well, that was like a good 20-minute catch-up, which was good. I didn't That's true. We haven't spoken are, you, um, are you still playing bass at all, or is that kind of off to the side? Uh, it's it's off to the side. Uh, I ha- I actually haven't even talked to Guy or Dave in a while. I want to do episodes with them for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's I don't know, kind of like what you were talking about with various projects and things. It's it's just not it's not a priority at the moment. Yeah, I miss it so much and I love it so much. But when I kind of look at my time and what I'm willing to put into my time, yeah. It's just not there at the moment, at least not in the correct way, because I know like they're only available certain days and certain times. And I'm trying to, for the first time, create healthy boundaries also. And so I'm only available certain days and certain times. And those aren't lining up at the moment. Yeah. Actually, they might be now that it's summer, but they weren't before. And because I live like an hour away and then I work in Batavia. So I live in DeKalb, work in Batavia, Hmm. and practicing is in Yorkville. That's all over. so yeah, and like they're only available Monday, and I'm like, I can't. I don't want to go from DeKalb to Batavia, and then to Yorkville, and then back to DeKalb. If it was Friday, I would do that for mm-hmm. no problem, just because uh, I usually stay at my sister's in Plano, which is yeah. right next, it's like two blocks from Guy's house. Yeah. But until that kind of lines up, it's kind of it's just not a priority. Uh, I'm starting to do like um, recording with those electronic drums, like the little crew that's out here, Orca and Mark. Oh yeah. We're starting to do, um, so Mark's a great songwriter and we, yeah. we went through and made one song and like, we're starting the process like we did back in the day where we record the drums nice. first. Yeah. But now it's so digital. Like I can just send them the wave file and they can add on and we're all going to start like, you know, layering and writing that song. That's kind of done and see yeah. how that goes and get that process down. I could see getting more into that. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I, I could see like, doing that. Think about like our time in bands. Like, yeah. what do you think your favorite aspect of playing in our band was? Oh, that's that funny you said the that. The younger era or the guy era? Like, what was? The- it's funny you said that because earlier when I was like, because I don't pr- plan for these, but I was like, I want to ask Jay what his favorite part about being in a band. Was. Oh, nice. And then you one up me. <laughs> I got you. I this is the Jay it. show now, and I'm yeah. the guest. John the drum. <laughs> John the drum. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right uh i i actually love a lot of the different aspects i absolutely writing just because uh, you and i don't write music uh, you might now because you uh you've gone a whole new direction over the last 10 years but you and i are very jam based so everything is very loose and played on a feeling and just kind of being on time like and, and it's been said before and it should be said here that we're like musical soulmates like yeah. we're just on the same page and, and even after you had left uh, because a couple of years ago i went out there for basically the summer uh and i brought my equipment with me and even though it had been like 10 years we still picked up like it was nothing like Dude, it, you it, that one baseline that was like i don't know what you call it but it's really quick in your hand yeah. like nearly bleeding because you hadn't played <laughs> that way like you knew what yeah. you wanted to play right you, you weren't in the condition to play it but you yeah. played it and it was your hands didn't appreciate it. They were not they were not happy about that. It was, it was so amazing because yeah, we just synced up and it was the tiny corner of my basement, like yeah, crap everywhere, and like wasn't even set up for like a, a band rehearsal spot, but we just locked right in. And it yeah. is a natural connection that we have, and that's crazy because yeah. that's like twenty years. Yeah, because I love to 
like you were just talking about uh uh orca and uh oh, mark mark yeah and same thing like because i jammed with those guys when i was out there like but when they heard us play they're like jesus yeah like holy shit yeah and like even getting to hang out with emily the, you know your wife and being like sure i'm not no no way a teacher by any means but this to kind of like give some at least pointers of places i've been mm-hmm. because she, it's seeing her play base is insane to me yeah, she's a natural <laughs> she's so annoying <laughs> because she is a natural at everything she picks up and it's actually what i want to do a show with her and I just want to, I just want to tear her down a peg. <laughs> I don't know. I'm definitely going to listen to that. <laughs> I'm not in the house that day, so she can be like 100%. And just like, no one's listening. It's really good, though. And that's not a joke. His wife, like, literally, she picks up the bass. She's amazing at it. They had never thrown discs for disc off before. I bought them each a disc, and she's amazing at it. Like, whatever this girl touches, she's just incredible at it. And it makes me feel horrible about myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. I'll let her know you said that. But I, I do think that, uh, like I said, jamming yeah, in that the, way, like the writing aspect. Yeah, but I also like live shows. There's a caveat to live shows because I fucking hate moving gear. Yeah, and that sucks. And it's even worse at night, breaking everything down, committing to going back and unloading it at the at the house. Oh man! Side note: I was just talking to Randy about this. I was like, you know, my my dream in our band was to tour full time and being a 40 year old man now, how much I would absolutely fucking hate it to <laughs> on a, a tour bus. And to do that, yeah, no I would have never followed through with it for that long. I would have did nah. it for a little while and I would have grown to hate it. So yeah. I agree. I think it's, it's fitting that, you know, we, we were started playing when we were like 20 and I'm pretty sure it's been what 13 years now since our last show. Mm. Yeah, I, and I think that that was probably the correct time to be like, it's a, call, call it yeah. basically. Yeah, uh, it, it, like I said, it was amazing, and I, I loved every single aspect of it. Uh, you know, ups and downs and, and whatever, but the, the playing live was incredible. But moving the gear sucks. Yep, <laughs> I even like like I said, uh, I, I also hate promoting, but I think everybody hates promoting. What about you? What do you think uh, was the, the best part of playing in a band? I really love recording. Yeah. Uh, just, I, I love playing to a metronome for some odd reason. I you, love like, it. It's because you're, I'm always curious, like, because most of us are self-taught and you took lessons. Yeah. And so, like, because your timing is impeccable and you're like a metronome uh, so much that it, it's it just makes sense that, like, because most people hate a metronome because it, oh. the metronome is truth. It really is. It really is. Yeah. So I think that you were uh, a step ahead of everybody to kind of come up the way you did mm. to be like, oh, metronome is good. Yeah. No, I learned to love it. And like uh, my favorite drummers played in a way that fit that. Like I really grew up liking like rap music and that's just like, yeah, that's just a straight beat. And so that was my style. I yeah. wasn't trying to be uh, flashy like neil pert or something like that but i, I enjoyed recording because i love seeing it raw and i love seeing the transformation how it can sound better and then the fact that it lasts and you can go back and listen to it now which yeah i think that's just magic um i really loved also the fact that it was kind of like the hub for all of our friends not yeah. our bands specifically but no. the bands that were around <laughs> back in the day like the fact that we had so many friends that were musicians and did shows and it kept our click together I think that's why that's probably the foundation of our little group is music. And we had it so strong that it carries on now. So I, I really appreciate the uh, community that it built because uh, that ties into yeah. the shows. I love playing shows. It was so fun to see people singing along or at least bobbing their head. And I knew that was because of me because that's the drum beat. Yeah. And it was like everyone was unified, you know, at least for that couple hours on that Saturday night. Or like yeah. a Halloween show was so fun. Everyone played the part and dressed up. and So I probably love the recording and just the community that it built. Yeah, the camaraderie is uh, is incredible. It's, it's, it's almost, uh, like as we get older, like we were said uh, when I was explaining kind of the idea behind the show, it's harder to get together as friends or to find time and really commit to maintaining those relationships. And it felt like it was so effortless then because it was like, oh, we'll all be at the show. Because yeah. at that point, 
there were so many of us that there were shows every weekend. Yeah. For a while, I would say 2009 and 2010 was probably about the biggest I'd ever gotten. It was literally like yeah. monthly. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. I don't think I'm by any means out of it. Like I, I still think I will, I'll be honest, I'll always make music in some way. Uh, and I, cause I've even toyed with like for this, cause I'm like, uh, I like the idea of like the natural world as I'm recording and not like fighting that. But I also like the idea of like when I do them myself, I do them in my house with just a mic. And I'm like, it's so boring with just one person talking. Mm. I'm like, I should write something light under. Ooh, like a back. Just put under that. I it. could just loop. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm like, that would be cool. At least that's something to keep it moving. And if there's like any lulls or anything, it's, it still keeps it moving and stuff. Yeah. So. You know what you should actually do? See if you could play background bass for a comedian. <laughs> that's that was my whole uh inspiration for that was mitch hedberg's uh one of his first stand-up uh oh, that was released that. he did it yeah he had a back he had a bass player in the background that just played bass the whole time yes so whenever he would stop he was like uh well, my stop is nice because the bass is still going <laughs> <laughs> i totally forgot that happened but I, I feel like that's a natural thing that i think you'd be great at that that would be a cool yeah. little niche to get into I'm trying to, so I, I work at a middle school and they have in the orchestra room, they have stand up bases. Ooh. And I've been, I want so bad to just go in there and see if I can play a stand up bass. Can you, can you, have you asked yet? I haven't asked yet because I'm not in that, I've never talked to that teacher. Mm. But now that I just finished my first year, I think when I get back, I'm just going to be like, hey, let me touch stuff. Dude, that would be so cool. Who knows? That might like be. Like reigniting that love. I think it might love, but like, you know, get back into it. Yeah. What I'm worried about is what often happens to me is that I want to, I presume I'm going to be amazing at everything. And then reality is like, no, you're actually bad at literally everything you touch. And then I get sad. Uh (laughs) I like the idea also of just creating bass tracks for your uh, like spoken word solo ones. Yeah, that's and then uh, enhance yeah. the feeling and make it more fun. If you're you have that bass track going and then you do your speaking, you might get yeah. lost in it more and it might be fun. That's what I think too. I I think I even said that in my first episode where I was the like I'm gonna end up if I have backing tracks getting lost in that and then not talking for like five minutes. But that's part of a that's a cool experience though because that happens yeah, I, like you never start talking to someone and then everyone reaches like a stopping point and we're like oh. That happens. And then in that yeah, case, that's for true. you, just be the baseline will take over. Yeah. And that would just segue right into the next whatever. Yeah. That does make sense. All right. So final thoughts. What's next for Jay Schwartfinger? Uh, well, to continue to grow Kids Freeze Dance. I uh, work at home now with my wife. So that's fucking amazing. I could. It feels like I'm retired. I guess like <laughs> I am my next steps. I'm trying to keep setting the old version of me up as best yeah. as I can. And if that in uh, it's like the freeze dance can do that. Cause it's, it's a monetary thing too. It's also fulfilling uh, working at home. We really enjoy doing landscaping and like just enjoying our day together. I, I feel like I'm retired. So I want to keep that going and make it yeah. more and more real. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. I don't really foresee any job changes. Like I really want to do the freeze dance and keep, uh, working with kids in that way. Um, I think that's really it. I don't have like think, any other big dreams that I'm trying to accomplish. I'd like to those, get into I mean, recording music, I guess. Yeah, those are big dreams. Uh, I mean, that's all subjective. Constant personal growth, I think, is the crux of existence. Mm. So I think that that's, I think yeah, that's I the best you can hope for. I would put that in there too, like just focusing on... Um, you know, tackling my own shortcomings and trying to get better where I know I should be better. Yeah. And keeping healthy is another big one for me. Cause I, I just want, I don't want to be old and be uh, immobile. I want to be like able to do stuff. I want to be healthy. My goal is to live to a hundred and then die like the next day. Literally a hundred. Yep. I like it. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not going to get greedy. That's a hell of a run. I think so. A hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. And then just kind of be, um, I try to live every day like I am doing things that I love. And I think if I yeah. do that, I'm succeeding. Um, and it's pretty, it's pretty set. Like I like health. 
I like um, quality talks like this. I like creating things. I really love creating. And for now, it's Kids Freeze Dance. Who knows what that'll be later. And I love being um, like a positive role model for those people. Like, that's why I love being a teacher. I think if I keep doing that stuff, that's my next, whatever that's going to be. Sounds amazing. Well, I appreciate you so much taking the time, man, finding some time to talk to me. I love you to death. I love you too. Uh, and again, thank you. I will talk to you soon. See you around the bend. Is that real? <laughs> Everything is real. <laughs> thank you so much for checking out this episode. It means the absolute world to me. If you feel so inclined, please subscribe. Uh, that it already meant the world to me that you listened to it. That would be even double world. I don't know, but thank you so much. We'll see you next time.